anger, sexual lust, the sorts of things that you experience when you're playing a video game. All these concepts originated with Karl Marx. Hello everyone, you're listening to Agab, All Gamers Are Bastards, the only podcast. I'm joined by my unkillable, and I've tried, co-host Kyle. And in addition, we are joined by Adam from the Acid Horizon podcast. How you doing, Adam? Pretty good. Glad to be here. Like a long-time listener, first-time caller. Excellent. So, Kyle, we have uh, at least one listener. We can guarantee that. We wanted to introduce everyone to our listener. Um, who's who's also my friend? So if whether that counts to you or not, whatever. No, uh, for those who do enjoy our podcast and who somehow don't know about Acid Horizon already, I highly recommend you check out that fine show, as well as um, uh, Adam and the crew's recent very prolific work over on the Zero Books YouTube channel. Um, where you every once in a while I pop up to say some weird nonsense as well, and uh, yeah, we, we've uh, we've we've brought our friend here to talk about a game. Well, first of all, Kay, how are you? Sorry, I didn't ask, I was being rude. Oh, me? Oh, I'm 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 good, I'm real good. Uh, I'm, I'm really excited to talk about this game because it actually really thematically ties into some other stuff I'm working on. Um, also, quick plug, uh, over at Video Games, The Worst Thing on Earth, we had an episode about one of uh, the creator's other games, um, A Hand with Many Fingers, in which the creator, Celestia, came on and uh, had a chat with us, and that was really good. So, of course, we are talking today about uh, another of Celestia's games, A Bewitching Revolution. Witch of the city, hear our prayer. We are getting poorer while the rich get richer. We freeze while the planet burns, and go hungry while food is wasted. But we know that another world is possible. Based off of the uh, the career and music of the Irish girl group Bewitched, um, <laughs> this is a, right. it's a it's a video game reenactment of the song "Sailavi." I don't remember the words. All right, all right, this bit is going well. That song is extremely sexually like suggestive is that a horned up tune it oh it's kind of like it's literally okay sorry i have to i have to no i mean listen horny song watch uh has that's a long-standing segment on this podcast if you've got (laughs) you know if you've got something to share with the class Get down from the treehouse sitting in the sky. I want to know just what to do. Is it very big? Is there room for two? I've got a house with windows and doors. I'll show you mine if you show me yours. Um, I love a house to have windows and doors dude. where possible. <laughs> this ha- Does this house include windows and doors? And doors? I mean, not in London. In London, <laughs> windows and doors? Fuck here now, luxury. Yeah, fucking millionaire over here. Yeah, yeah. it's it, like, it's it's the, the uh, trademark austerity that you expect uh, um, of that part of the world is not uh, is not present in this 
Yeah, it, oh man, it does get worse. Yeah, do you ever get lonely playing with your toys? We can talk, we can sing, I'll be the queen, you'll be the king. I was very young when that song came out. I think that's just why it surprises me. Anyways, yeah, we're talking about A Bewitching Revolution, which is actually a video game about Sylvia Federici's Caliban and the Witch and mm. Autonomous Marxism. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> not to, like, in the usual... uh um, whip, the sort of like whiplash style that we're known best for. Um, yeah, true. We're I want to. I want to first uh, pivot to a question for our guests, which is, how did you first mm-hmm. play this game? Um, and what was your what was your sort of initial relationship with uh, a bewitching revolution? So I came into. Uh, so I discovered this game about about a year ago or so, and um, I was talking about sort of the. The stuff we were doing at Horizon with some students uh, for an MA course on Kant I was TAing. We were talking about sort of autonomy and the coming insurrection to Kun and all those things, which I definitely don't read and shouldn't be put on the list for reading. Um, and <laughs> and uh, they mentioned this game, you played a bewitching revolution. And I you know, Googled it, saw it was free, and I was like, well, it's paid free. It was on Steam, it was on free. Eventually I bought it again on Itch.io because like... Yeah. Come on, this thing is worth paying for. Um, mm-hmm. If you can, of course, if you can't, absolutely. Put, that's that's the whole point in the game. But it it was just such a sense of optimism. That's a weird way of saying optimism. Yeah, but uh, in terms of like thinking about what was possible in terms of leftist action, instead of getting bogged down in not so much theory, but also in a sense of which there's so many obstacles. And this this game is just so optimistic in terms of the sort of revolutionary kinds of hope. It's like, and we'll get into it, I guess, but the it's the very possibilities for action. It just lets you do them. And also, in the way the game is structured, it kind of subverts your expectations about what a game like this is, because you always expect yourself to be sort of the protagonist, but it sort of undermines that protagonist function and makes you one moment, uh, a, a, yeah, a pretty helpful moment, in a collective process of consciousness raising and resistance. It only it takes the weight off of you, in a way, as any revolutionary struggle will actually do, because it's not just, you know... It's not just a great man theory of, of history kind of thing. And here it, it really does give you a, a really um, hopeful sense of <laughs> even just minor kinds of resistance building up into a collective moment of upheaval, which kind of thinks, well, maybe we could have this in this way. It doesn't have to be, um, you know, just the endless drudgery, the sort of the capitalist realist struggle where thing, you know, revolutionary sort of social change at all for the better is indefinitely deferred before you know crushing systems of control debt and i guess recuperation where you don't know really what to do against these sort of monolithic forces i'm saying there's no there's no labor party in this game that's what i'm saying Um, (laughs) thank god for that i think you're right uh, about it about it being not quite what you would expect from a game like this because you are of course um agitating and facilitating the real protagonist which is the revolutionary proletariat Mm -hmm. and I think it's, I think it really, the simplicity in a way, or the, um, the, the straightforwardness of the way that it's kind of gone about in this game, it kind of highlights how insecure a lot of fiction is, or maybe influenced by the liberal depictions of revolutions that we've been inundated with, where Mm. there's always uh, an asterisk, right? There's always a, oh, but there's this complicated or messy or or negative aspect to it so the whole thing actually you'll find they're just as bad as 
whatever they're revolting against. Um, whereas this just, it, it doesn't play that game at all. It's like, no, mm. this is obviously a good thing. We are making this city better with like every single action in like tangible, visible ways uh, in, in this game. Mm. And I appreciate I appreciate that because people aren't normally that confident with a story like that. And it creates this situation where all these kind of uh, revolutionaries are actually bad sorts of stories are in conversation with a hypothetical text that really just uncritically depicts revolutions that doesn't even really exist. You know, they're arguing mm. with no one because no one's telling this sort of story. But actually, I think that they should. It's it's an interesting assertion of a, a point that I think is really important, which is that in in critique lies the sort of body of the of that of the negativity itself and the part part of the way that we that it is in some ways possible to discern at least in some moment or in in the constituted in the relations leading up to some particular say revolutionary moment that there are a particular that capitalism does constitute particular relations that does influence a particular way of being in the uh in the Gudriza Marx quotes Aristotle and describes it as the zoon the politikon essentially the political body the the in, in in before that he says something along the lines of you we more does the individual more does the producing individual appear as dependent um as belonging to a greater whole or something like that um i'll mm. correct myself in the edit uh, <laughs> but it, you, you hear me come in and it's just like a completely different environment and a different microphone um <laughs> uh, totally outdoors yeah <laughs> but in a train on a train or something like that. yeah uh, it, it's it's this it's that like through the critique of a particular form of relations exists the sort of uh it's one thing to be part of, to recognize that we're part of some kind of historically contingent form of relations, but yet another, also part of a particular stage in social production. And mm. in the, in, in the state of the body as an instrument of subjugation is the state of a body that potent, that potentially finds its point of resistance to capitalism. And I think this is where the direct intersection between the game and Sylvia Federici's work makes itself most apparent um, in that there's this like it is it 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 is like attempting to in the autonomous sense like in in something I always found very inspiring to prefigure a world for the lack of work as this point of leisure and freedom rather than poverty. Um, and thus a, attempt to prefigure some sort of historically contingent relations and anticipate new intensifying strata of conflict. Mm. And it has this like spirit to it that like it, it, it attempts to sort of embody that particular kind of social production and those historical contingencies and to organize through it and within it. And it wouldn't surprise anyone to know that the creator of the game also made a game that was inspired by the tactics of the IWW at one point, um, <laughs> which yeah. sort of sits within an 
especially historically, is in conversation with all of that, you know, 1970s mm. Italian Marxism stuff. But I digress. Thinking about the the witch from Federici and you know, who you play as, you play as a witch, but not not just a witch. And seeing is that's not a singular witch. You see other you know in the witches in uh, a bewitching revolution, they have bikes instead of broomsticks. But there are bikes all around the uh, the area that you can't use. So there are other witches doing this at the same time. Yeah, it, yeah. Your singularity as a protagonist is immediately kind of uh, shattered. But what the witch is, especially for Federici's. Um, work in Caliban and the Witch, yes, it's the it's this repressed site of feminine coded feminine knowledge about not only about medicine, about spiritual nourishment, also sort of reproductive knowledge, knowledge about how reproduction works and how to um sort of an autonomy of reproduction for the people doing reproductive labor. Right. And mm-hmm. this 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 um this figure of the witch is cast out by the church in an early form of um primary or, or as Marx calls it, primitive accumulation, right. where essentially the church has to start stratifying all of these folk modes of knowing, all of these folk modes of understanding the reproductive parts of you know producing more laborers and making them happy and healthy and giving them spiritual nourishment. That, that knowledge is taken away and the feminine is demonized as a communal figure or as a repository of, of knowledge and of knowledge production for the wider community. And this turned into what we now know as, as the witch. I mean, one good example from this actually is is brewing, hmm. which is brewed brewed medicines and they brewed herbal remedies and they brewed different kinds of drinks that weren't just beer and cauldrons, which is have cauldrons. Whereas instead, you get the restriction of brewing in many senses to stuff that keeps sort of workers docile. I mean, I'm one of the workers this keeps docile because it's beer. Yeah, um, we have things like the German Reinheitsgebot, the German purity law that sets that brewing the stands of brewing into a particular kind of ingredients to only make certain kinds of beer. And you can see in this figure of the witch sort of the return of the repressed in terms of the focus definitely on this game in terms of reproductive labor and how necessary reproductive labor is and reproductive and excess of reproductive labor is to keep the whole system going in terms of not only producing more workers and caring for the old and uh, and the sick. In, on top of that as well, the, sort of, the fact that capital was always demanding more from those kinds of bodies, more from everyone's body in a way. And that's the sort of thing you need to see. If you can, if crises in the base of capital are kind of inevitable due to how exploitative they are, it's on the site of reproduction that the witch can come in as this return of the repressed and then say, well, if we can raise consciousness and sort of set our own terms of reproduction, collectivized reproduction, then it will crash. I mean, you see this in the um, in the train station before the revolution. It says, "Let your money move," and then afterwards, in the, after the revolution, it says, "Capital circulates or it dies." Yeah, I mean, this is such a it's a it's quite a short game. You could probably beat it in like an hour. Uh, it's amazing how. <laughs> how much it manages to kind of engage with in just one hour um because it really it really wants you to think about how capital relies on these institutions such as um i mean if you could let's call it an institution of reproductive labor of um or the idea of brewing. I mean, there is a you use. Uh, I'm so glad you you brought up beer in this case because you use uh, a cauldron that's in like a bar, uh, mm-hmm. and that's where you you brew uh, a very different sort of thing um, that uh, is is to agitate and facilitate. 
rather than to just kind of keep you know in line um all of the all of the instruments that keep capital running are actually in a, a, a very technical sense controlled by workers for the most part it's about inviting you to think about who actually has access to this and who actually because mm. capital is kept running mostly by us like that's that's the that's always been the great kind of and and often very stressful and and, and frustrating uh, mm. sort of uh, paradox of, of this economic system is that we do most of the work to keep it running while it immiserates us. So it really invites you to think about, well, what if you didn't? What if you used the exact same tools, but to a different end? And I mm -hmm. think that, like you say, I think the figure of the witch is a perfect sort of... Um, like an like an image basically to to mm -hmm. come and, and and be the the harbinger of that idea you know there's something very simple and important about a figure that can represent some sort of sort of exterior that exists and is represented often by the sort of porousness but in the the porousness between life and death and as i i think the i think figures like this um as as I talked about in the YouTube video I made that no one watched, um, I think figures like this are really sympathetic in a lot of ways. And I think the witch is perfectly representative of this. Just as you're saying, Kay, this is, this is a about, this is about social dimension and an affirmation of the further, the further production of existing relations and thus the, the process of primitive accumulation. Mm. how capital changes by the process of change by which primitive accumulation occurs historically. Um, and I think what's so interesting about these sort of like transitional motifs, as we'll say, is they're just like, it's very much about like what's hopefully going to be the first part of the book I'm trying to write right now, which is trying to commune with the dead and how history is, uh, is just as easily represented by this sort of like by flipping over cards with skeletons on them that um that remark on the sort of sort of changing conditions of your social of social domination and of your world that can that exist and it, what's so special about that is that is that the process of reading is not just like it's so e it could be so easy to sort of like do the one for one representation of like the magic stuff is the like, like, you know, like, like you're like you dreamed you were falling. And so that means you're afraid of uh, the, un you're falling into the unknown, like this boring, like one for one <laughs> weird representation stuff. That's not very deep or interesting. Or I hate true. falling into the unknown. I know. Right. It's, that. it's fucking bullshit. Sucks. Man. Uh, Sometimes <laughs> you fall into the unknown, then it falls back into you. So, oh, that's I, the worst. I've fallen and I can't get out of the unknown. Um, <laughs> but there, like, I think the, I think the dimension of tarot uh, works to undermine those simplistic representations and symbols because it's very. It was very apparent to me that I'm like teaching workers how to do communism with tarot. It's like, it felt like it was like workplace organizing. It really felt, it felt mm. like I was sitting down. It felt like a one-on-one -on -one 
in workplace organizing, not every union does this, but a lot of unions like the ones that are organizing Starbucks right now, um, uh, like SEIU, um, are uh, premised on this model of the one-on-one conversation, which is when you basically have a... You, you make a point to talk to the people in your workplace and get to know them and get to know the problems that they go through to essentially find the points of agitation that you all can agree on and turn into a platform to make change. Mm, um, yeah. Not only does it work, as I've seen it work, but it is a very like intimate thing that you have to respect. In the same way, I grew up evangelical Christian and so everything was about volunteer labor and like understanding the way that we communicate with people and giving them some sort of a buy-in to whatever it is that you're doing. Now, in, the, in those contexts, it's more insidious, but like principally, it taught me everything I needed to know about helping workers organize for themselves. And that's what this game represents, right? It represents the idea that in our relationships with one another and in the inescapable sort of oppression of our social relations exists a, a way of seeing that allows us to look beyond um, sort of the contemporary limitations of like, say, in our contemporary moment, the tertiarization mm-hmm. and gigification of economic life. These historic, it allows us to see things historically and thus critically. And then it also acts as a vehicle through which change is possible. Um, it's a very powerful thing. In terms of the so the things I love about this game so much is there's two ways we can retake it either in the sense of the magic or in the sense of how it tackles the cyberpunks or more contemporary kinds of capitalism. Yeah. I mean, I mm-hmm. guess I guess you can start off with the magic in terms of setting the game up as what you have. So you've got as as you said, you've got the tarot deck, this amazing tarot deck, not like a traditional rider weight one that actually comes in sets allow you to tell people what their labor really means. Yeah. You give a tarot yeah. reading to someone in the job center and they say, this is the function of unemployment. You give a tarot reading to a prison say, this is the function of prison labor as a way of keeping everyone down. And as, as the lovely black cat says, every prisoner is a political prisoner. Mm-hmm. And this is the consciousness raising mechanism. It's not unique to you because any witch can have it. And at the end of the game, people are reading for each other. You know, you, you're just a bit of a, you're, yeah, you're an agitator, you're a slight prodder. But the other thing you can do is, well, there's two things really. The, the other thing you could do is um, guerrilla gardening. You can levitate mm. acorns of your mind and put them into cracks so food grows out of them. Um, and you can pick this food. It's not like a regular protagonist thing. I think. Um, uh, I think. Do you think like, uh, Sarah Zedig? She did a great video on this. Talks about you know you pick up the food and it doesn't go into your inventory. No, it goes into a collective uh, collective food food baskets because it's about generating sustainable or nutritional autonomy, developing spaces of autonomy where you can get them. And there are always going to be cracks that they can't pave up because capital may have a desire to paper over everything, but it doesn't want to spend that much money doing it, to be honest. That's why they have the police. <laughs> they don't really right. want to do that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, especially in Britain, where at least the Tories are so ideologically committed to austerity that they think having a police force is kind of socialist, so they do cut the shit out of them. Uh, so, <laughs> But... Um, the other form of magic, which I really love, is you cast sigils. It's the same chisel all the time of this uh, sort of square with a line going through it, kind of like one of the traditional Wiccan alchemy symbols. And it's you can do all kinds of things with these. 
You can mm-hmm. turn com- turn cops into pigs. You can destroy spray painted security cameras. You can attack billboards that turn them into um, uh, into solar panels, generating not only nutritional autonomy but also um, uh, energy autonomy. And what I love about sigils is, I mean, the history of sigils—they're most popular now in something called chaos magic—but they go back to the, in my opinion, in terms of like the modern era. Um, one of these sort of classic proletarian magicians. So it goes back to a guy called Austin Osmond Spare, who was one of the founders of surrealist art, and particularly interesting for his own theories of the unconscious. But he was a proper you know, Cockney lad. He had a big. He almost had a big break, but he wasn't in those sorts of class-based circles to really get into the high art world. So he used to live like in in, in basements in London, do exhibitions of his art in pubs, just basically just hang out with with just everyday people and everyone's cats. And he invented this kind of thing called sigil, well, developed a kind of thing called sigil magic, which is where essentially you turn desires into these little portraits. You take out the vowels, usually arrange into a sort of desire and you project that out into the world. And it sort of arises again in consciousness. And it's, it's not too different from how we think about cybernetics and logos now in some senses. I just really like the idea of particularly in our time where symbols and logos and, you know, insert loads of Baudrillard here and all that kind of thing. <laughs> the revolutionary logo of the sigil is like a coding of taking over sort of the meanings of what these things are for the average person, you know, sort of spreading it like a, I guess, memetic virus, not to get all too CCIU about it, but the fact that it's sigil magic really sort of understands it's, it's all about consciousness rates, about treating consciousness as a material force such that people end up setting setting their interaction with capital on their own terms through one of the few mechanisms they have, which is the refusal to reproduce it for them and the ways that capital prescribes. And I think even we, you could even make it, I mean, I have overrated this game to fuck. So you could even <laughs> say that the sigils are planted everywhere and they come from the unconscious into the conscious sphere. There's things that are always in the corners of their eyes. And you see people wearing T-shirts of these sigils throughout the game in the tarot reading. And this is amazing because it counters. There's actually an evil form of magic in this game. It's only referenced once. <laughs> um, on one of the adverts, it says, "If you're too stuck in debt, talk to Cathedrax for a debt-raising spell." So there is a cyber Catholic church in this that wipes away debts. So there's an evil form of magic just waiting to be exposited. But beyond that line, we don't know. <laughs> oh yeah, I saw. I didn't even think anything of it because I. You see it like. Pretty, pretty sort of near the start, and I was just kind of looking around. No, that's a great point. That's that's really funny, actually. Well, I, um, what I oh no, go ahead, Kay. I was gonna say that that's just another example of what I was talking about with how much this fucking game covers in like an hour. Just all these little things. Uh, I'm just really impressed with it. It's incredibly rich. It it really is. And to and to the point, Adam, that you were making, I find. Which figures I've been thinking about sort of the folk the folk the folk fictions of which figures in mm. sort of tri- in a trans historical sense and framing that within the context of life and death in um sort of like the teaching of Protestantism really that and, and what's funny is that all of that all of that came from just the fact that I am planning a research trip for a book to go to where my redneck relatives are buried in Kentucky. Um, and to, and I've been doing a lot of research. I've been, I've been reading a lot about mining accidents recently. So it's nice to talk about something like video games. 
Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, good, good subject matter. Um, but no, what I just, there's a way that the sort of, the, the sort of like the, like what you, what we're sort of nodding to in some ways is this kind of like, I think really underrated idea, this kind of, uh, this kind of like newer epistemology of work and working as an element in a, a composite element in class history. That's all that's constructive, the inconstructed, um, in sort of like deliberate acts of subjects. Basically how, like in the same way that there's no work without the worker, truly there's no work without the worker, despite e e even, even if a worker gets say automated out of it, um, there's still no working relationship without some kind of worker that, that mm. in, in this sort of like sense of what it means to be a worker exists a, a set of ideas or sort of like, I guess, presuppositions for a worker subjectivity and in that like for everyone who's listening I, re I do realize that that was just a big ball of spaghetti that i handed you but that in that in that big ball of spaghetti is the the process of sussing out and giving rise to people's the a conscious relationship consciousness of your social relations exists in that entanglement of the subject you know, not to place too much of an emphasis on the subject, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot going on here, but you know, it's a, it's a useful, you know, sort of like touch down, touching down point. And that what I find so mm -hmm. powerful and moving about if we're doing sort of like representations in the same way that this game uses a reimagined, like reconstructed mysticism that's like contextual in the sort of like, yeah, occultism and witchcraft stuff of it and it's, that it, and it's the subject matter that influenced it, but it's still this really neat composite of ideas that mm -hmm. intersects with like, I just, as you were saying, Adam, with modernity and two different kinds of modernity, a kind of cyberpunk modernity, but also sort of like naturalist moder post modernity in this like sort of like, it's just a very like sim simple yet realized idea that I think is in so many ways a part of understanding what it means to be a worker in contemporary society is to approach, to prefigure the fragmentation that gives rise to that kind of subjectivity in the same way that like a tarot deck that says, you know, socialism or barbarism with pictures of skeletons on it and sigil magic and, you know, floating acorns are to give rise to sort of like an, a, 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 either a new sense purely new sense of social relations or a new idea of existing of an existing sense of social relations this kind of like i think it's represented by it's benjaminian it's the sort it's the rag picking metaphor but also like you know the production of surrealism and surrealist art exists in sort of like explicit and implicit montage and like expressionist art in the same way has this, it, it, it has gone with the flow of flexibilization and in that's a de, that's a process of deindustrialization, right? And the sort of, uh, so I mentioned a tertiarization of economic life and that that's mm -hmm. in the same sense, like following sort of like the 
what was happening in the early 20th century, which is sort of anxiety about world wars and industrial industrial relations and class of people and ex- all of the all that stuff that through that gave rise to this sort of like expressive sort of almost to use annoying language spiritually informed composite images that were very to me for, for me very moving and for anyone who listens to our show mine and john's show <laughs> knows that i find very moving and influential in the same sense, it reminds me of the sort of like itinerant preaching apocalyptic Sith saying of this sort of like compo- influenced composite images from apocaly- like apocalyptic literature and Christian scripture with this sort of sense of civil unrest, but an, un- an inability to describe it in such a way that is specific. And, and so it sort of gives way to this sense of essential suffering in to give rise to a new beginning sort of a kind of like apocalyptic marxism if you will um which i think is really an important idea and can potentially as this game does i think sort of give very sort of like give a very simplistic shape and new form to people's experiences that can help them understand the social relations that they live in. Apocalyptic Marxism, not to be confused with Basadism, of course. Um, <laughs> I, I like what you were saying about, um, or, or, or rather in reference to what you were saying about not wanting to, to go too hard on sort of the, the idea of the subject here. I actually think that that's one of the most central things in this game. And I think that the use of magic or the image of the witch is really important here because I think it's 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 kind of i mean all of this has to be in in the context of a world in which there has been this kind of uh post you know from from the enlightenment uh this sort of positivist way of thinking about how to organize society then which then you know led to industrialists like ford uh creating these even more like directly kind of technocratic ways of of putting you know arranging how our our workplaces and our economic system works, right? Mm. And I think that the the idea of magic, for example, I think is really directly trying to challenge the the f- sort of fundamentals of that uh, positivist way of viewing the workplace, right? Where everything is a quantifiable item that can be added to a spreadsheet, uh, mm. where every workplace. Federici you know, is so good. Oh, Federici! Uh, so fucking good. Um, sorry, I mean, Kay, yeah, you're just, just you're describing Federici so beautifully. And it just I know, I'm, I'm trying me how good. not to just like plagiarize. You're not. You're <laughs> not. That's the subject of the game. You've but, done. You've done such a good job of describing why specifically, like Caliban and the Witch, but like by by why Federici's work is so good. Like, no, yeah, folks, read that. That got yeah. me. No, that was she's perfect. Had a Kay, I'm a, sorry. She's had a bit of a bad turn recently in terms of some particularly. Turfy parts of understanding about the medical industry. But no. If I'm going to see the, if I'm going to see the return of the witch archetype coming, it's going to be in DIY HRTs. So you know, this exemplifies some of your early work better than better than you can put it in these. I mean, it's weird. She's Italian. Yeah. No, she was British. But there we go. Um, <laughs> but I, I had to get that point because like so the witch, the witch is returning in a form that she can't even recognize because it's been so repressed even by certain kinds of 
very gendered ideologies and as they've been returning in very reactionary forms in the UK. But yeah, I mean, Kay, you're totally right. I mean, it's all, it's a revolt against positivism. And particularly, I mean, there's, there's actually a flawless production line in the game. It's only, it's yes. the only, and it's in the prison. Everywhere else is just either, yeah, tertiarization, as you were saying, Kyle, and service economies. And the, the positivism, the positivism it's uh, rejecting is the cybernetic positivism. Everything is a problem of information. Everything is about recording, controlling inputs, outputs, and then making sure everything is either self-regulating for repression or being regulated by an external force. And the, the cyberpunk aspects of this game, there's not actually many before the synthwave stuff at the in the intro. But yeah. um, as, as a chronic overreader of this game, I have found the two most horrific parts. You have those vending machines in the streets with those glasses in them. Mm-hmm. You can't buy them because you don't have any money. You don't have a credit chip. Also, cashless society, cybernetics. Yeah. But there's two. There's ether, which is ether. Yeah, it knocks you out, numbs you. The other one is called Synapse, which is these glasses, according to one of the adverts, basically you put them on and it uses your brain power as you sleep to essentially generate value. Now, it it could be something like folding at home where you you lend your, which is is good, you you can lend your computer power to someone else and help them do some work for science. Or it could be, you know, like that, there's one startup I was listening to on the uh, Trash Future podcast months back about how there was an initiative to put Bitcoin miners in your home as an alternative to heating. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, it, it does, it would feel kind of absurd if we haven't already kind of got these extensions of our minds that are the computers. The idea that capital can use you to generate money outside of what you're doing. And this, this is both in the cyberpunk sense with um, that ETH, the, sorry, that synapse system. But also when you go to the, um, the cafe or the fast food joint, everyone has to be self-reporting as a worker. Everyone has to be constantly filling out these god-awful repetitive CVs at these job centers where right. the point isn't actually to get them jobs, but to keep the threat of unemployment there. And it's, it, it's an incredibly anti-cybernetic, get, or at least anti-cybernetics in the capitalist mode. I know some people who are working on stuff like Bogdanov and uh, some sort of cyber-positive elements um, with that. I mean, th- for God's sake, the cat that follows you around, the, so there's a little black cat that follows you around and does quotes. Yeah. One of them is Deleuze, you know. From the society of control. <laughs> if the right. model of discipline is the worker prisoner, and there are worker prisoners in this game, the figure yes. of control is the debtor addict. Magic no longer focuses on the prisoner because the police really deal with that. And they want to deal with magic because they want to arrest witches. They say, you know, if you find a coven, just turn them in. Similar to how they want to turn Thomas Munzer in, actually, to the princes yeah. of Frankenhausen. But, um, <laughs> but it's, it is. On the outside of the prison is more a space of control and debts, and magic is more about focusing on the information, what's positive, how to manage information, how to manage the numbers on the screen that are the debts, even when the material circumstances of that debt aren't really of any of any consequence at all to the system. Yeah, it, the well, the politics of confinement in this game are really interesting and informed by yet again well informed by its subject matter i'm like grading this game i'm like (laughs) Uh, (laughs) like no like it it has this like it it, it represents i think that a very important um and come to think of it the thing that i emphasized when i had to lead discussion on him in graduate school but the the conversation in the foucauldian in the delizian sense between this um how the sort of 
great confinements, if you will, the <laughs> the politics of the great confinements uh, in the trans historical sense, or the in the sort of archaeolo the in an epistemological archaeology kind of sense, how they are they 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 they, they give rise to like I was talking about before we've been gesturing to the whole time they give rise to different ways of seeing and perceiving the change in relations in particular the idea of like a machine body um i i, I think is important to 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 federici's argument mm. to the game as well as to like to like placing in direct conversation which is just a which 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 you know I think I think for some people is a cliche at this point on left Twitter, but that a lot of people still don't understand is that, or are fully understand is how intimate the relations between the rise and the prison industrial complex and industrial the industrial revolution itself were related to one another, and how the sort of how the trans historical productive relations, as I talked about earlier, the sort of marriage between historical contingency and the particularity of a historical stage and social production get like how the conversation between these two things present interesting tensions worth it. And like how they, how their descriptive powers are really important, which was important for Federici, uh, like, like, uh, to give sort of shape to the change in the relations in primitive accumulation. And, it makes me think of, I've been reading recently, again, for a book about uh, the sort of discursive production of slave revolt and the way the sort of discursive conversation between the idea of slave revolts or actual slave revolts, sometimes there were often, about about 50% of the time, actually, it seems that they were uh, false accusations um, of planning slave revolts. But the way that this would, these dis competing discourses were used to inspire the drive towards sort of revolutionary change, in this case, the abolition of slavery, while at the same time, the threat of this revolutionary upheaval being used to suppress, um, restrict, and control slaves in new forms of social control and new and give, giving rise to this politics of confinement the social world exists in these in in a, in a sense of productive relations and but always in conversation with one another that give sort of like their their origins are never going to be so unique that we can't see how they gave rise to their particular social and cultural forms we can see how the a certain rise in productive relations affected a particular social group in those productive relations in the same way across in in, in like like just federici's example in the house in the workplace in the new modern feminizing workplaces of the 1970s in deindustrialization in the rise up toward deindustrialization and for Federici in the 16th and 17th century. So this like, yeah, contingency, but the process by which the sort of negativities give rise to change throughout history. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And again, uh, it's good. I'm not good at ending rambles. I'm I mean, just to kind go, of, <laughs> to go back know. to, um, 
uh, we were talking about the uh, the development of, of like uh, prison labor. Um, something really sort of well, not funny, funny, but funny happened in the UK with industrialization. As you can see, almost immediately they stop hanging people because they realize, oh, these guys are free labor, and we can arrange our prisons in a way uh, similar to a factory. Um, so suddenly. The, the criminal is not a nuisance to be sort of removed and done away with. Mm. Uh, they become a commodity. Uh, they become f- uh, labor that you can exploit at an even higher rate, and they become this great instrument to, to sort of beat uh, you know, so-called free workers with, where you say, hey, you've got to go to work, you've got to do what you're supposed to do the way you're supposed to do it. Otherwise, we're going to fucking lock you in this cage, and you're going to do the same shit, but without your meager pay and what like meager freedoms you have on the outside. Uh, and it, it's incredible how rapidly theories of how to control prisoners and how to arrange prisons started to be developed at this point. Like, you know, you've got things mm-hmm. like fucking, um, uh, you know, Bentham uh, coming up with like the Panopticon and stuff like that. And like everyone, everyone who themselves, of course, is in no risk of imprisonment, getting really giddy and excited of all these new ideas of ways to make prisons. Uh, I mean, I mean, one more inhumane but most importantly, uh, more efficient at extracting like productive value from these people who it's socially acceptable to, you know, deprive of rights to an even greater extent than your, your regular worker. Yeah. The, the history of British repression of, uh, labor organizing, labor agitation, it's obviously got some very bloody moments, but it's not as bloody as it, bloody as it could be, not because of Britain's, um, you know, kind hearts, but it's because they used them to further their own processes of empire. Exactly, empire both internally, in terms of, well, I would I wouldn't call it maybe, maybe the prisons are an internal kind of empire. Instead, they they return some tactics they they learned the imperial core. Some of them have definitely informed that. But yeah. also, for example, the toll puddle masters who tried to start a unit, they were trapped. They it, most of the things people were sentenced to was transportation. And most famous example of this is Australia, where essentially any agitation or any, any so-called criminality, you were sent to Australia to essentially build up the, the British presence in those colonies. Yeah. And it's, it is ultimately that the, the penalty system in this is, it's so much more insidious because it only feeds back into the extension of primitive accumulation. This is the, the, the evil, the, I guess the evil genius of, of something like, like the British penalty, uh, British forms of penalty because the prison system it's not just built in line with capital, but it, it fully serves it from the very beginning. I mean, this is how they develop uh, workhouses, for God's sake. You know, it's essentially if the, for the crime of being poor, you are put in a prison and in a good Protestant manner, you are taught to work so to heal yourself. And then you could theoretically work your way out. But it, it was just people were just dying in, in absolute privation in these places. And I think it's so good that this game uh, makes that connection, right? between uh, the conditions and the sort of economic place uh, of the prisoner and of other workers. Um, Because I think that in, I I think now there's still, it's been quite successful. The cordoning off of criminals as like a separate race of being uh, in a lot of people's minds still in, in the popular consciousness. Um, and it's still, I think, quite a challenge to really talk about them. It's like, no, this is you. Uh, you know, what is happening to them is an extension of what is happening to you. 
and you your interests are almost 100% identical to theirs in in this situation. Mm. I mean in the system if you're not working you are still if you're not working in the sense of having a job, you can, you're actually still working in the job centers and they're using you as a crutch to get workers in line. Or in yeah. this case, you're literally you're consuming stuff like synapses, say we consume things, and they profit off of that information. And it, it's realizing how much labor is everywhere and how much and how much labor essentially relies it it's it's dialectical, you know, these are mutually constitutive poles, they can't rely on one without the other. Which is why the cat is so nice when it says that every prisoner is a political prisoner. And when we give the prisoner the tarot reading, this mm-hmm. is the point of consciousness raising. And then one of my favorite lines in the entire game shows up in the prison riot. They can shoot us all to death, but they can't shoot us all back to work. Oh, hell yeah. Because, yeah. because they need that goddamn labor. They don't need yeah. your life. They need, your, they need you to be alive to do that labor. But ultimately, if you at that point of refusal, you set the terms of order. And I've been reading a lot of Cedric Robinson recently talking about the slave revolts mm. and consciousness as a material force. And he's got this just amazing phrase about some slave revolts. You know, it's about talking about sort of the black radical tradition. Talking about, no, it's about a, a consciousness of refusal that taps into a traditional continuity of consciousness, which in, in their racism, the Eurocentric powers could not recognize because they, if they could recognize it, it would be in contradiction with a very dehumanizing the subjectifying factor that they needed to do to conduct these things in the first place. It's all about setting the, the terms of order, to use a title of another book for Robinson. You fight on your terms, you work on your terms, you die on your terms. And in that sense, Robinson says that at the end of the battle, after they have won, particularly he's talking about a selection of, of Haitian fugitive slaves, even their dead were free because they set the terms. Yeah. Precisely. Uh, there are the the idea of found foundational history building as a collective activity um exists so perfectly in the sort of you know it, it's sort of a conversion it, it's this interesting inversion of what i believe are the first few words of Foucault's chapter on the great confinement which is by a strange act uh, by a strange act of force that, and he's describing the, the, the ways in which madness was silenced and a sort of, a sort of common, a kind of common knowledge gave rise to a confined population. Um, and in this sort of like really mo- motivating sense, I, 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 I find, I, I, I find this sort of, I, I find the body of this negativity to be, a, a, a very a, a strange act of force, but a powerful one at that. In the in a sense that it has, and I've seen I've seen I've seen it personally through it, almost purely through union organizing. How this, if you appro- approaching an oppressed body of workers is presupposed, and the it, all victories defeat. Everything, any amount of engagement is presupposed on the fundamental connections between these sort of like potentially liberated subjects that can sort of, it has this powerful corrective force in, in regards to the 
constant state of powerlessness that we find ourselves in at the mercy of these, as we can see through the critique, powerful and mighty, strange acts of force throughout history. But within within our own confinement exists the means through which to provide some there's there's some there's some sense of liberation and in redeeming and reclaiming what was already lost in an act of defiance to sort of like what was not gained mm-hmm. which is a that's that's the I hate that. That's actually, that's what actually what I mean, that terrible sentence, but I hate that sentence, you know, like giving in this sort of like Hegelian sense, giving rise to that, which is negated is this powerful sort of formula for possibility, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Well, when it comes to Hegelian dialectics, this is one of my frustrations with contemporary yeah. Hegelians because they, they enjoy the dialectic too much in a way. It's, um, I, I think the dialectic is a dialectic in one of the way that Adorno mm-hmm. sees it, or even someone like Agamben, where the, the contradiction, the heart yeah. of things is exposed. And even when some great Hegelians have been, have, have shown this, it's like, okay, we'll do it. Well, we've got to work. We've got to work within it. We can't reject the entire thing entirely because that will just start a new dialectic. Well, you're starting a new dialectic anyway. We know that this identity dialectic is never going to work. It's always going to result in contradictions. So why don't we liberate the productive power of contradiction itself and sort of free it from this constrained form of uh, of only reproducing the same contradictions of worker and oppressor and all of the intersectional parts that right. make up those poles. So there's my thesis rant there. I mean, that's a. I mean, that's a. It's a beautiful one. Do we do we want to go around and give our closing thoughts, and then we'll plug. I mean the problem. The problem with that, though, is that would be communism, and we're not here to no. actually uh, affect change. We're just here to navel gaze. I'm a. Uh, so. I'm a. <laughs> you know, as Marx said, the point. Uh, you know, the philosophers have long uh, attempted to understand the world, and that's the point. Uh, yeah, Don't do any I'm more a, things. I'm a libertarian. I'm pretty sure. So, I'm just here to talk about Bitcoin <laughs> and stuff. Yeah, invest in. Um, what's the latest shitty meme coin that like? The makers of it are about to run off with everyone's money. Invest in that. Figure out what that is and invest in that. Flurn. Schlumpflurn? Maybe. You know, yeah, fuck it. Yeah, you know what? Invest in that. Goddamn hogs. Do it. (laughs) For for $20,000, I will sell you an NFT of that one scene from The Simpsons about the wallet (laughs) inspector. You say that's not the wallet inspector. But actually it is, because it's the authentic NFT of the wallet inspector. So Homer's doesn't even, his lines don't even count. Right. That's a bargain. That's yeah. a bargain. $20,000, you're saying? Yeah. 20000 not bad. I mean, look, if you vote for the Labour Party, I can expect you what for $20,000. only happened once. I will also, I will sell you $20,000. <laughs> yeah. For $20,000, I will give you my original PS1 copy of The Legend of Dragoon. The, the not Final Fantasy Squaresoft game uh, that I played a lot as a child and that people didn't hadn't heard of when I started talking to them about it. That you can you can have that for twenty grand as well. That that actually might be a game. So that game so weird. it has for every attack you make, you have to do like timed button combinations. It's really weird, and you all turn into dragons. Oh my god! I promise not to emulate that. Uh, on a PS1 yes, emulator. Yes, you should not do that. That would be like right-click saving an important monkey <laughs> image, and I would not. Yeah. I would not uh, 
besmirch the sanctity of uh, a token by you attempting to function. You wouldn't screenshot a car that's not yours. You wouldn't. Uh, you you would not screenshot <laughs> a car, folks. All right, closing statements, guys. What do we think about Bewitching Revolution? Um. Yeah, our like guests, guests first. Yeah, do it. You're the guest. Go, right, go okay. wild. Go right. hog mode. Okay, so this game has its limits in certain senses, but it's not a theoretical text. It's a video game. Yeah, there aren't many... There's not much recuperation sense in this. You know, There's no politicians, just police. But in many ways, in terms of how the politicians, at least in terms of very sort of binary two-party systems where a consensus has been reached after the collapse of certain leftist movements, you know, Bernie, Corbyn, and the like... It provides an alternative form of organizing to the sense of, aban- of political abandonment. And it's it's one just a really optimistic bloody game that I need yeah. every so often. It's an hour long. If if you don't have money for it, it's free. It's easy to run. And there's an amazing scene in this where you find an unhoused person. They ask you, can you help them? And here's what you do. you They're sitting in front of a, uh, an empty apartment. You break into that apartment and you give it to them. And I noticed this recently. The person is wearing a wizard hat, and they start on sort of an anarchist or sort of autonomous. It's called a heresy <laughs> press. So essentially, the magic spreads on there. It's a great game about one taking the load off of yourself if you're doing agitation and organizing. It's not just you aren't just protagonist. You're just one part of this wider process of conscious raising. But it also says that even though it's not just about you, you still have agency. And you know. To quote um, the late great labor organizer in UK, Bob Crow, you know, spit on your own, you can't really do anything. But if we all spit together, we can drown the bastards. Yeah, Fuck, indo- we, good, we completely endorse <laughs> that statement. Absolutely. So I've been thinking a lot about um, power fantasy and the place that it holds in our culture and the way that a lot of fiction that's coming out lately engages with it. And for the most part, I would say it's extremely juvenile while pretending to be deconstructive. Actually, if either of you guys have seen the new Batman movie, that's a great example of a text that's trying to be critical of this kind of like old reactionary sort of power fantasy. But it, it feeds into this very liberal paradigm that that if anything lends more credit to the you know the Frank Miller Batman stories out there um you know that write about all these weak effeminate institutions that are full of liberals and can't stop criminals so we need you know strong supermen to do it uh and it ends up feeding into that by showing you these corrupt in- institutions that can't possibly solve any problems and then trying to reassure you no the institutions are good Say, like, oh, so Frank Miller was right. <laughs> is you know, if you don't know any better, when you receive that, that's kind of unless you're a fucking idiot, that's the conclusion you have to come to. Um, which is sort of a great microcosm of how liberalism. I was about to say it's also completely place. different than fascism for for reasons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's for completely reasons. completely different. Um, Not like a diet version of it. <laughs> exactly. And I feel like if we want to really tell stories that that can challenge an idea like that, you need 
a vision that is actually liberatory. And I've been thinking about, you know, how often do I see uh, like a, a, a liberatory fantasy, a liberatory power fantasy, mm. perhaps. Uh, and yeah. this is one example. You know, the it, it is the the fantasy of being, you know, an, an active agent uh, in service to your class, right? That is actually, uh, you are seeing immediate results to your actions and you're able to contribute to this sort of larger project, but without giving in to the kind of wish fulfillment e sort of like you're the super special, wonderful person who's going to do all of this. You're going to single-handedly, you know, blow up the fucking police station and, and take out the boss. Um, it's, it's more little nudges that you're giving things. It's a, it's, it just feels more intellectually mature, I guess, you know, it's mm -hmm. not just, you're a big special boy. Who's going to beat all the bad guys. It's, it's really asking what would this actually look like? You know what? Let's write fiction about actually trying to fucking ever solve a problem, right? Instead of just like venting aggression and anger onto, you know, whoever Batman's beating up. And I think that we need more shit like this because I think people's imaginations are the parameters of what they can imagine are affected by the media they consume. I think a lot more than it, we give it credit to a lot of the time. And mm. When you go your whole life without ever seeing a story where a protagonist can do anything except, like, beat up the penguin, and then a new guy replaces him who does the same thing next week, I mean, what are you going to think you can do, you know? But Batman taught me that you can just punch capitalism to sleep a bunch of times, and that's the video game. Like, And then you... <laughs> that's right. And then you take right. out the clowns, and then something Crawling, happens. Crawling something in a good, probably to maybe. liberate... Mm -hmm. Yeah, the multitude. <laughs> there was a Batman and Judge Dredd crossover, and the two went. The two got together like a house on fire. Just, yeah. Oh my Displ god! Raw disciplinary power right there. I mean, oh he's just a Foucauldian. He sends people to an to a, a mental yeah. hospital for God's sake. He's like Foucauldian concern at <laughs> large. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, the the the, the, the villain of madness and civilization. Um. <laughs> yeah, if I had the. If I had closing thoughts on the game, it's that it's good and it's short, um, which means you should try it and support an independent game developer who's made stuff that we've all enjoyed. And A Hand with Many Fingers is very good also. Um, I, I I think yeah. it's a it's, – it's literally about the archive. Come on. If that's not like I – got, I, got, I got a few thousand words in me about, about that bad boy, um, to put it one way. But uh, – <laughs> I, I think there's a there's a really important sort of like I th I think it's not hard to sort of read to feel the texture of the lived experiences that inspire elements of this game. Sorry if it sounds like an industrial kitchen behind me. It's dinner time. Uh, centering centering people's experiences and using kind of like fun things, if you will. I don't know, like magic and shit is like. And doing it in a way that is like that, that truly as, as my co-hosts have been saying that, that feels sort of like illuminating in a sense, positive and in some ways at least like, like exceptional in the sort of like sort of the, the way it produces 
excessive meaning, sort of revolutionary meaning or experience, um, and how it sort of translates all of that through things like sigil magic and tarot and cauldron mixing and just witchcraft in general. It's like, it's important that we continue to place these various emphases. I think it's really, it's like to, to put it as simply as possible. Um, I think we should expand the way that we talk about things. Um, but harp on the same, I, the, the same sort of like, I, I, I just do my usual, my, my broken record ending. As I've been saying, the game describes this, sort of sense of contingency and a particular stage in social production in a unique way. It discusses the body as instrument is instrumental in a form of subjugation, as well as in the resistance to capitalism. Oh my God. And it well as a, and also a very interesting politics of confinement um, that I think describes our contemporary moment um, in interesting ways, you know, Read Calvin and the Witch. Yeah, read that. It's good that book. That's my mm, plug. Yeah. Calvin Auto- and the Autonomous Witch. Marxism. Talk to us on Twitter about autonomous Marxism and play this and play this video game. Um I would like to just thank our guest, first of all, for uh great gracing the podcast waves and would like to give him an opportunity to give any thoughts or plugs. I mean, thank you so much for having me. I mean uh I'm just such a chronic overreader of this one-hour game, all the minutiae. I just, I just had to uh, get this out because it's just such a. I just need that sort of optimism coming in, but enough more sort of a fanboying over of a Calestia. But yeah, you can uh, you can find uh, what I do on on the Asset Horizon podcast. We have a sideshow and inner experience as well. Um, if you're interested in the more magic side of things, we had an episode of Magic Realism with Eden from the Death Sentence podcast and Heavy Blog. Um, our latest episodes of Asset Horizon are a poetry discussion with Ray Armantrout. And before that, we had one on essentially on the idea of pedagogy and philosophy. But also, we have a lot of stuff on Bataille, Deleuze. We're going to do a nomadology episode soon. And if people are into anything from mixing between jungle to power electronics and harsh noise, you can find me over at the, the Coming Insurrection on a Bandcamp. Our, our listeners are more into stuff like Mario. You know, <laughs> I mean, that's not a vaporwave song. Does that count? <laughs> that that's basically yeah. No, our listeners are genius. Are um, all geniuses, actually. So, well, I'm I'm apparently the only one. So <laughs> exactly, like, I hope so. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love I love Death Sentence. So that is that's hype. That's cool as hell. Um, thank you uh for coming. Um, I am K. You can find me at K and Skittles on Twitter and YouTube. And uh, you should also listen to the Video Games of the Worst Thing on Earth episode that I did with Alton and Reese about uh, Hand with Many Fingers. Uh, Celestia came on and, and chatted we'll with us. It. It's very we'll good. remember to. Um, yeah, we'll link that, and we're also going to link the itch.io um, for this game, and you can purchase it. You can get it for free if you want, but if you're able to, definitely please you know, throw some money uh towards the developer because they make a lot of these cool games that actually have uh i don't know an artistic vision that doesn't make me want to fucking <laughs> scratch my eyes out so that's pretty cool um kyle where can where can the good um, people at home find you 
they can find me at batmanvideogame.com slash laborkyle on Twitter. It's all, all one word. <laughs> I'd like to, I'd like to, um, I'd like to plug. I don't fucking know. What have I done recently? Oh yeah. Uh, oh, two things. What have you done? I have a, what have you a done? short, I put out a short video on Elden Ring that, uh, is, a video so you should go watch it at youtube.com slash labor kyle and then also you can go to youtube and search for a little show called profane illuminations that is a uh, um a little production put together by myself and my friend john um for the zero books youtube channel and we put out a second episode on utopia that i think is very good um and i would like people to watch so i'll i'll plug that which of the city Will you show us our future? All gamers are bastards. Ah, ravioli. Ah, mamma mia.